0: Long reading this morning. Not really, but it goes through two chapters Matthew 9, 35 through 10, verse 8. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few therefore ask the lord the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into her harvest then jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness these are the names of the 12 apostles first simon also known as peter and his brother andrew James son of Zebedee and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not take a road leading to the Gentiles and do not enter a Samaritan town but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with the skin disease, and cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Bob. All right, well, I thought we would start with an all play today. I feel like maybe we've been a little all play light lately, so it's summer, summer, right? No one wants to think. (laughs) Although an all play means I think a little bit less, maybe, I don't know, I'm just kidding. That's the secret. That's why Steve invented all plays, right? Because you had a busy week. He was like, I just, I don't wanna write anything else. No, I'm just kidding. Love you, Steve. <clears throat> well, let's see if my, no, I'm far enough away from the fans that we're not going to blow my, my notes off here. But so if you're new to All Plays, whether you're in the room or online, it's a way for me to throw out a question for you and for you, if you've got a response or a thought, or I think Will just yelled out barf last week, so like, whatever, comments are fine. Um, but it's a way for us to hear from the larger congregation and not just the preacher's voice on a Sunday. So our all play, at Genesis, our mission statement uses the phrase, ordinary apprentices of Jesus. And I'm curious, what does that phrase, ordinary apprentice of Jesus, what does it evoke for you? Or what does it mean for a person to be an ordinary apprentice of Jesus? Messy, Messy. yeah. Always learning, Always learning. yeah. Sorry, can you say that again?
0: It feels attainable. It's not just for an elite group.
1: So it feels, John said it feels attainable. It's not just like it's for some elite group. Yeah. It's easier to reach the plan because it doesn't indicate that I have any illusion about being even close to being as close Jesus. It keeps me humble. Yeah. It makes my proclamation humble that I follow. Yeah. That's great. Bob said that. Um, It helps him because it feels like it's something that he can say aloud because it doesn't have any illusion of grandeur because it's not like he's saying he's the authority in it, but that he's following after Jesus. And if I ever paraphrase and you're like, no, Kara, that's not what I said, or (laughs) make sure I repeat it so that our folks online are able to hear at least a bit of it. Yeah, yeah. Katie said it's great because you could be at the start of your apprentice journey or have been on there longer, and like it's okay, like it all belongs, whether like this is your day one of your apprenticeship or whether you've been doing this for decades, yeah. Well Freya and I went, we love to go to the um, Minnehaha Falls Art Fair and, um, which is coming up in July, so put it on your calendars. But um, Freya is my daughter, and she and I went and stopped at, and spent some time at this folk folk art booth. Um, and they were teaching kids how to um, take these little presses and create their own leather um, uh, keychains. And while doing that, they, all, they were also showcasing their leather work, their... Um, blacksmithing, their wood carving, and their printmaking. And when I imagine a pre- an apprentice, I think about that acti- those activities. I think about the many hours that these artisans put into kind of learning their craft, testing out different materials, listening and learning from a teacher, how, to ha- how hard to hammer that leather press or how much ink to use for the best printmaking. Because apprenticing takes patience and perseverance. It takes curiosity and an investment of time and energy. And perhaps that's why Steve chose this idea of apprenticeship after Jesus as the centering foundation of this Genesis community so many years ago. As apprentices, we're learning from Jesus, our teacher, but that's only part of the discipleship. The other component is this launching into the world. So we're learning... But that learning isn't just for the learning's sake. It is also having an end goal that you're also creating and birthing something into the world. Our scripture portion from Matthew today speaks to these ideas of apprenticing after Jesus and about becoming equipped to be sent out to do the work of the mentor, the work of the teacher. And it can feel a little daunting sometimes, right? This notion of patterning our lives after the way of Jesus. Sometimes it can feel like we'll never be enough or measure up. At times, maybe it's even frustrating to call ourselves followers of Jesus. Because that big tent of Christians has a lot of strange folks in there. I'm going to be real honest. I've been watching a lot of shiny, happy people and the Hillsong Hillsong documentary the last couple weeks. Oof. There's been news from the Southern Baptist Convention that still women cannot be pastors in their churches. I see a lot of tweets online that are like, I don't believe in women pastors, and a lot of women being like, well, I exist, so. (laughs) And sometimes it boggles my mind how we say that we're all followers of this same person, and then we use the same sacred book. How do we synthesize this ancient scripture into a pattern of life so far removed from the person of Jesus? It would have been so much easier as a disciple with Jesus, like in the mix. It's harder now, so far removed. We have this modern era with, so many, with any number of distractions and noise. So what can our text today tell us about what it means to follow Jesus and to be messengers of the gospel? Well, two themes emerged from Matthew 9 this week for me in response to those questions that have been kind of swirling around for me. The first is Jesus had compassion on the people. And the second is that we're sent out to do just what Jesus did. The voice translation of this passage uses this beautiful imagery. It says, Whenever the crowds came to him, he had compassion for them because they were so deeply distraught, malaised, and heartbroken. They seemed to him like lost sheep without a shepherd. To be a sheep without a shepherd in the Old Testament was a way of saying that Israel had no prophet or king. You see that in Numbers and Isaiah and in Ezekiel. And no one was caring for them until Jesus showed up and saw them as they were. And so Jesus had compassion on them. He had this deep embodied compassion that was more than a feeling, it was being moved and then being moved to action. It's so much more than simply feeling your heart tugged by that, I don't know that, remember that Sarah McLaughlin video with the animals, you know, like that, I just turned the channel every time that would come on, right? But who, who watches commercials now anyway? Uh, sorry, Katie, people watch commercials. Yes, <laughs> Katie, Katie works in advertising and sometimes when I'm like, nobody watches commercials, she's like, oh, you're killing me. <laughs> um. But it's so much more than just feeling your heart tugged by a story or a picture, or something that's sad or unjust. Compassion is this deep in your bones feeling and response. Walter Brueggemann in his book, The Prophetic Imagination says, compassion constitutes this radical form of criticism because it announces that the hurt is to be taken seriously, that the hurt is not to be accepted as normal and natural but it's an abnormal and unacceptable condition for humanness. It's noticing who sits alone at lunch and inviting them to sit with you. It's paying attention to the needs of the workers in your city and mobilizing with them to have safe working conditions. It's seeing the man outside your car window who's hungry and giving him the sandwich sitting next to you in the seat, which I didn't do, by the way, this week when I had the chance. I saw him, I knew he was hungry, I looked over, I saw my lunch. How easy would it have been? I got half the equation, right? I saw him and I felt sorry for him. He got my pity, but he didn't get my compassion. And this isn't to guilt us, right? I'm not trying to guilt us, but it's an invitation to see and notice and name those encounters that we have with other people, with the world around us. Those places where we see another person or another group of people and are moved to action on behalf of each other. Jesus saw the people and he had compassion. He was moved to make things better for them. He didn't just see them and have compassion and think, oh, that's rough. He did something about it. When I first read Henry Nowen's book, Compassion, um, I had just first started college. And I think I ended up highlighting most of that book because it felt like this big aha moment. He writes, compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into the places of pain, to share in brokenness, in the fear, and the confusion, and the anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, Vulnerable with the vulnerable, powerless with the powerless. And I knew then that a life of faith wasn't just about saving people and whatever I imagined saving people meant in my 18, 19-year-old brain. It was instead about accompanying others in whatever circumstances they were in. Jesus saw the people and felt compassion for them. We apprentice after Jesus when we notice what he did and do likewise. We apprentice after Jesus when we're honest about our own need for compassion, too, our own need for compassion from Jesus, from one another. I mean, how many of us feel kind of ill equipped some days for our daily circumstances? Some of us face unknowns in looking for work or housing. Some of us are deep in the midst of illness and chronic pain. Some of us are closing one chapter and stepping across a threshold into we don't know what's next. Some of us just finished up with a school year and are freaking out about the summer. But I find it so reassuring that Jesus looked out among the people and he saw their helplessness and their estrangement and their pain and their struggle and he felt compassion for them. An act active compassion. Because things are remarkably less shiny in real life than our Instagram feeds would tell people. Sometimes we're really good at pretending, right? But a lot of times that white knuckling to put on a good show is exhausting. But God loves us and welcomes us, so we don't have to polish our rough edges or fit into our particular box. If you have family or friends or community who don't value you or celebrate who you are, God is not like that. God loves the person you are, not the person that you're trying to be in order to be acceptable to others. Because Jesus saw the people and he had compassion on them. He saw their circumstances and was moved to act. He mobilizes the disciples then to do the very same thing, empowering them to do the good work. The good work of announcing that the coming of the kingdom of God is at hand through every healing and casting out demon and raising of the dead. And then he tells the disciples who are turned apostles, this is your first set of parameters. Here's like, where, here's like your first action plan, which is to go to the people you know. Go to the people in your community. And then by the end of the book, by the end of Matthew in chapter 28, They're sent further out and further out. So Matthew's gospel starts with Jesus' ministry to the Jews, and by the end of the gospel, it's out to the whole world. But what work is he sending us out to do? I don't know about you, but I'm not casting out a lot of demons nowadays. Have you ever said yes to a request without completely understanding the scope of what you said yes to? (laughs) Yeah, Nate, all right, Nate's like, preach yes. Yes. I volunteered to take on an additional task at Freya School this fall, figuring it would involve sending a few emails to get a few donation items, right? And instead, it turned out to be a list of hundreds of businesses to contact, trips to pick up donations, photographing and displaying the items, and that was before you even got to the silent auction. And I was already doing this kind of other big thing, so. but I was like, oh, sure, it'll be fine. I was in way over my head. And thankfully, I was saved by other couple of, by a couple of other folks who had more margin than I did. But I imagine kind of the disciples a little bit in this kind of situation with Jesus. So he's this dynamic teacher. They witnessed miracles. They saw crowds following him. They were in the room where it happened, and it was amazing. And then Jesus says, now you get to go do that same thing. And I imagine them looking out at the crowds of people, the hurt, the sad, the broken, the people in need and i imagine them wondering oh no i wanted to say something else there i just <laughs> can see my brain was like oh yeah <laughs> insert your own expletive or whatever cuz jesus invites the disciples into the very work he's doing not second to your work not the busy work that you give to somebody when they need something to do but you like don't have real stuff for them to do but the full work of healing and proclaiming wholeness, and we get invited into that too. And if we're apprenticing after Jesus, we do what we do as he did. Jesus doesn't arrive to solve all of humanity's problems, but to encourage and empower us to solve them. He invites us into the full participation of God's work of love and redemption, and that can feel pretty daunting, even if we are calling ourselves apprentices, right? So we're not like, The best, right? But we're still doing it. And that still feels daunting. And the weight of the world's needs can feel so unbearable at times. So how do we proceed? How are we qualified to be able to be God's messengers of the kingdom? It might help us to remember that at the core of what Jesus was doing in acting with compassion was simply restoring people back into community, restoring them to health, lessening pain, Sickness, death, segregation, demonic possession—these are all things that keep us from living fully into the kingdom of God. So here's another all-play for you: What are other things that might keep us in our present modern day from experiencing the fullness and the flourishing of the kingdom of God? Busyness. Busyness. Yeah. everything about our culture right now yeah addictions to false idols
0: addictions to false idols yeah <laughs> yeah
1: yeah Bob expanded further and said things like idols, like his new car, which is pretty sweet, but his new car, um, the security of, of jobs, of homes. I would add things too, like racial injustice and economic struggles, food insecurity, deep political divisions, climate crises, things that divide us, which isolate us from one another, which isolate us from the whole of society. What is the work of compassion if not restoring us towards love and towards community? While the world's needs can feel overwhelming, proclaiming the good news that God has drawn near is something that takes place in the smallest of ways. And that feels reassuring to me. It's done as we follow Jesus' words. In verse 8, when he says, Give away the things I've given to you? What if we gave away the things that Jesus gave us? Mercy, inclusion, a reminder of God's divine love incarnate. What if we considered the very good imago dei of our unhoused neighbors? What if we were led by love in our conversations and interactions with others, with those family members that Sometimes the conversations are tense or fraught. What if we placed our very good bodies in between another person and harm? As apprentices of Jesus, we may not be casting out demons these days, but we have voices, we have resources, we have gifts, and we have power, even when we don't feel like we have much power. I want to invite you this week to consider where you have experienced people practicing that kind of compassion, that very embodied empathy that drives our actions. During this Pride Month, I'm reminded of folks who, during parades, will actually act as a human barrier between anti-LGBTQIA protesters and the queer community. Oftentimes they're like dressed like angels, right? And so they'll literally come and stand and create a barrier, putting their bodies in the way of people who wish to cause harm and those who are simply trying to exist. My own journey of faith is full of fingerprints, and I would bet that yours are too, of people who saw my needs, who met me with compassion, who came to me with reminders of God's faithfulness, who surrounded me with innumerable prayers and words of encouragement, those who had bold, justice-seeking actions on behalf of us women clergy, and pronunciations that nothing can separate me from the love of God. And whether that compassion took the form of hot dish or handwritten notes, oil changes or their presence at a graveside, texts of lament or money venmoed to me just at just the right time. I believe the kingdom of God is present in and through these acts of restoring community, rising up against systems of oppression, welcoming us into compassion and companionship with others, announcing that death does not have the final word. Well, you know I love to leave you with an invitation for your week. Something that you can consider or chat about with others. So here are a couple questions for you. Where are you finding joy or struggle as you apprentice after Jesus? And the second, where are you noticing an invitation to be sent out to practice that compassion for others? And I'll close here. Nadia Boltz-Weber has a lovely prayer called God of Compassion in the book A Rhythm of Prayer, which is, as an aside, is probably my favorite collection of prayers ever. And I'd like to close with that. So would you pray with me? God of Compassion, thank you for seeing us, for seeing our loneliness and our bravery, for seeing the times we cannot say what we need to for seeing the ones who have never felt like they are enough. In your compassion, teach us to see each other. Reach out and raise us up, God of compassion. To we who think we are not worthy to be loved, say, Rise up. To we who have been hurt by those who say they follow you, say, Rise up. To those who feel unworthy of forgiveness, And those who feel too burnt out to keep going, say, Rise up. To we who hold on to resentments like a security blanket, say, Rise up. And again, God, when you have raised the dead, when again you have made whole that which is broken, when again you have reached into the graves that we dig for ourselves and love us back to life, don't stop there. Give us words words that are not empty affirmations, but give us strong words as real as the very soil from which you raised us. Give us the words, Lord, but also give us the pause before the words. And then give us to one another. Make us one in this fractured world and help us to know that when we do not have enough compassion for the road ahead, that you do, and that is enough. Amen.